Welcome to the Board Shorts podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Cook, and I'm here with another easy to digest dose of valuable board and company director related information designed to help you to get on board and thrive in the boardroom. Welcome back to another edition of Boardroom Insider of the Month. You're listening to episode 38. And today I'm joined by Rod Buicker. Rod is a marketing and brand strategist, CEO coach, and board member. Amongst many other roles that Rod holds, he's currently serving on the advisory board of Think 180, the board of Burnside War Memorial Hospital, and is chair of the Burnside Hospital Foundation. And he's also a board member of Adelaide Zoo and Monato Safari Park, where he's also chair of Risk and Governance. Rod's board career extends all the way back to 1994, so he has a lot of wisdom to share, and he does so in this episode. In this conversation, you're going to hear Rod share about his pathway to the boardroom, what he thinks are the essential skills of great board members how he sees his professional expertise benefiting organisations via board service, the value that he personally gets from serving on boards, and how Rod overcame his biggest board career challenge. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Rod. Rod, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm so glad to have you here. Thanks, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, I'm going to get to the first question that everyone always wants to find out. How did you get your board roles? What was your pathway to the boardroom? Well, in my case, it was me thinking like I didn't actually know enough about the requirements of a board role after I'd been in one for some time. So I made my, I was a director of Cleminger BBDO. I made it my business to then understand governance a lot more and decided that it was probably time I had some training. And so I looked at the AICD course. I looked at the introduction to director's program, which is an early course for me and thought, okay, there's a lot more for me to learn. Once I'd done that, I had the confidence of looking at other uh, board roles and chose a not-for-profit entry point, which is pretty typical of how a lot of people do that. And uh, so I started um, through Cancer Council South Australia, really, uh, to then, and then my career really blossomed from there. So um, the initial role was one for Prostate SA, which was a second board being run by Cancer Council. Mm -hmm. And then from there... I took a full role on the board of Cancer Council and remained there for 10 years. And in that time, I started getting other opportunities. And again, uh, most of those were not for profit. And then I would just keep taking the ones that I thought were appropriate for me and that I had a special interest in. Right. And so how did those opportunities come about? Mostly when, my experience at least, when you're on a not-for-profit role, Uh, or in a not-for-profit role, people um, look to you to perhaps be part of something else. They see that you have 
brought something to the boards that you're on and, uh, and if they like what they see, they tend to sound you out for additional roles. Hmm. And so that was really through your existing networks or were these people who were watching you from afar? How, how do you think that worked? I think some of those people were not really that well known to me, but most of them were in my network. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them knew me from either my advertising career or that had something to do with me through my entry point um, with Prostate SA and then Cancer Council. I, I think there is a lot of who do you know in, in our board space, um, but increasingly people are looking at where the skill sets are and, and if they like what they see, they start talking. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So going back to your Clemenger role, to understand you were a director but that came about because of the position that you held within the company, so you worked for Clemenger, is that correct? Correct, yeah. So my board role with Clemenger was, it ran a course of about 15 years, um, Mm -hmm. just shy of 15 years and... um, it's typical for people in those governance structures to be brought in as directors, uh, depending on their seniority in the company and the roles they play. Um, and that's how it worked for me. I, that was my first directorship um, and I took it pretty seriously, but I also recognised that I actually didn't know enough um, about, being, about the responsibilities and the risks attached to being a director. So I thought then that I really need to be better schooled on that. I need to really understand my responsibilities. And um, so I then pursued further knowledge and training through AICD. Great. And when did you realise that you needed that additional formal education? There wasn't any particular trigger. Like we weren't um, faced with something that frightened me or scared me. It was more a case of me being more aware of the director role. And I had friends, of course, in other roles. uh, And I started to be more open to the fact that boards were going to be a bigger part of my life as time went on. Mm-hmm. and that I had better be better informed yeah. and understand, you know, what I was really getting myself into. I loved sitting around the table and helping people um, with major discussions and I really liked the governance aspects of the role, but um, I didn't, I don't think I really understood the impacts of some of the risks that we were taking on and until I really started to be more aware. And then from there I thought, well, you're either going to be a serious director in in future or um, this may not be a pathway for you. And if you're going to be a serious director, you need to be better informed, better trained. Um, so I took that path. Absolutely. And there's so many options out there now for formalized education to really know and and be exposed to all the things that you don't know that you don't know 
Yeah, there was plenty that I didn't know. I didn't know. But I, uh, I really got a wake-up call um, pretty early on, but not, uh, you know, we weren't faced with any catastrophic situation. We didn't have anything to, to be concerned about. But what I was really woken up to was the need to be aware of the risks involved, that it's one thing to be passionate about the subject matter, but it's another thing to understand what your real role is as a director and, and what the requirements are um, of you and, um, and the responsibilities. Yeah, absolutely, which I'm sure we will get into, but I'm really interested because you've mentioned sort of skills-based boards and that people are looking more skills-based. Your background is in advertising and would you call it marketing as well? I know that people tend to tie yeah. that together. It's far more nuanced yeah. when you're in that space. I definitely so. would. Um, advertising and marketing is usually how I refer to my um, career background up until about 12 years ago. I was an active director of Clemenger BBDO. Prior to that, Young and Rubicam. I have senior positions in Young and Rubicam. Prior to that, DDB Needham or USP Needham in Melbourne. So I worked for big US-based multinational interests. Um, Clemenger BBDO was majority owned by Australians at the time that I was in it. Mm -hmm. And as I was leaving it, it became more majority owned by uh, the US BBDO arm. But uh, I was very conscious of the fact that I was part of something bigger and I needed to be more aware. Yeah. So that going back there to where you sort of really started your formal board career, if we can think of it like that, having that background of advertising and marketing could be, it's quite unusual. You, you hear a lot of people want lawyers, people want finance, people accounting, things like that. So it's, it's quite, um, I wouldn't say unusual, but it's different. It's, it's not what we hear about a lot. Sure. So how, how do you see that skill set benefiting the organisation from the boardroom? Mm -hmm. Look, it's a very valid question, I think, Lisa, because typically boards are made up of governance specialists who are often lawyers and accountants uh, and past CEOs. Um, they are people who've really had to worry about the risk nature of the business. Mm -hmm. Whereas I take the view that, the greatest asset you've got, uh, and you could arguably say, apart from your people, is your brands. And so why wouldn't you be applying the same level of governance around the value of your brands that you do on other aspects of the business, plant, equipment, sites, all of that? So I thought, look, there is a role to play here. People who understand brand need to be at the boardroom table of the bigger organisations because it is such a critical area and one of high risk if you are not having stewardship of those brands. So I made a very conscious decision that that was what I would bring to the boardroom table in the beginning. It's changed mm -hmm. somewhat, but I still think you need to have that understanding around the table because your, your, your brands are so valuable to the organisations and they must be protected and they need, they deserve the same level of governance as everything else. 
Absolutely. So how has it changed? You mentioned it's changed. What about it has changed? My attitude to my what I bring to the table is what's changed. Um, mm-hmm. Because I've now had a lot of experience, uh, I have worked at many levels of uh, at, at the boardroom table. I've worked for government boards. I've worked for um, you know, small companies, large companies, um, not-for-profits. So I've got a pretty good spread. And so whilst I brought to those boards in the beginning an understanding of brand and marketing and comms how uh, and how that could affect the organisation and how it needed to be protected, I think my skill set now is much more of that of an experienced board director who understands governance, risk. You know, I chair a risk committee now. Um, and so I, um, I've shifted from what I bring to the table as being a good understanding of how brands need to be protected to a much broader understanding of what it takes to be a good board director. Yeah. How long into your board career did you feel that shift had been made? Uh, probably within... The first 10 years or so, I started to feel that I was evolving into a better director. Mm-hmm. Probably by the end of my time at, at uh, Cancer Council, which I had a great passion for, I, I really loved the subject matter, and I think that's important, especially on not-for-profits, you do have to have a connection. But um, I was really of the understanding that um, it was one thing to be actively involved in something that was of critical importance to the community and and, most people have been touched by cancer one way, shape or form through their family or personally. Um, So it's one thing to then bring that passion to the table, um, but it's another thing to then understand what your role really is, and that mm-hmm. is one of making sure that the organisation uh, is functioning in accordance with its ideals, its values, and and with the plans you and the executive team have set for it. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk about these essential skills and skill sets mm-hmm. of board members. What do you see as the essential skill or skills of great board members? I've had plenty of time to think about this in recent years uh, and I'm firmly of the view that one of the biggest attributes a board director can have is an understanding of what their role is and what the role of the executive team is. Mm. It's probably the most critical consideration that they can make because we often find with not-for-profits particularly, you have people who are very passionate about the subject matter because they may have a real vested interest in it and they can therefore bring their passion to the table in a way that it becomes a bit operational. And that's a danger zone for me. For me, you need to... It's one thing to be passionate and it's a great thing to have passionate directors, uh, but it's another thing to then get in the way of the executive team doing the job they need to do. So the best thing a board member can do 
and a board can do is to once we set uh, our governance parameters, once we set our direction, and we should do that in line in conjunction with the executive team, is to then stand back, get out of the way and let the executive team deliver uh, the plans and, and ambitions that we've set for it. Mm. So how did you come to learn that lesson? I think through serving on a number of not-for-profits uh, and working with them. My role as a tech chair exposes me to a number of not-for-profits as well. And that's been, you know, fabulous learning for me really uh, and something I value greatly. I think uh, what I see a lot of is a lot of passion at the table. Yep. Um, and we need to be reminding people fairly regularly that, um, it's uh, it's critical that we let the executive team through the CEO or the managing director um, get on with the job that we've set for them. And um, we have to be very clear about what that job is. Um, mm -hmm. and, and But I think we need to do it in unison. We need to do it in, in partnership. But then we have to recognise that our role, even though we've been in partnership in setting those ambitions and targets and um, and goals, that we have to step back and and be less involved, um, um, you know, challenge and verify, you know, trust and verify. I heard this the other day. I thought that is exactly what directors need to do. We trust our executive to do the job it, it's charged with. The questions we ask are simply verifying our trust in them and also that um, the direction being taken is, uh, is in line with the governance principles we've set and the um, ambitions we have for the business. Hmm. So how can people get stuck with this? I know um, I've heard this many other places where board members get too much into operational. Why do you think? that's the case? I think it, do, it does come down in the main to a passion for the subject matter. Mm -hmm. It'll vary a lot by organisation. You know, if you're on a big corporate board, your passion may not be for the subject matter so much, you know, the, the business, the organisation's business. Um, it will be more of one of being a very important cog in the way the business is is governed uh, is is uh, you're bringing oversight to uh, how the business performs um, according to set metrics and really um, you know high level legal responsibilities etc. So. The larger the organisation, particularly in corporates, you've got to bring a lot more of that to the table and be really mindful of that. So there's less of the subject matter passion and more of the, the need to do things really, really well. But if you're in a not-for-profit and it might be a health-related not-for-profit or a sport-related not-for-profit or something where you actually really love the subject matter, and you might have had a fair history at it, then it, you can get uh, a little bit close to 
what needs what you think needs to happen how things need to be done and that's the time i see a bit of a flag to be waved um and to um step back and get out of the way yeah absolutely so what value rod do you get from serving on boards what's in it for you well the boards that I'm involved with, uh, I do actually have a real interest in the subject matter, and I have had in virtually every one of them, um, I'd say actually every one of them, um, and that continues to be the case. Um, I'm very passionate about all of the work we do on the boards that I sit on now. Um, so I get enormous value out of seeing growth in people and in the businesses, uh, I get enormous value out of seeing them run well. I see, um, I like to see them grow, of course. So I like to see them perform profitably. I like to see them tackle great challenges with uh, with skill and and good governance. Um, so. Yeah, my value is, I think, directly tied to my interest in what we do, but also the performance of those businesses, seeing them perform really well. Yeah, yeah. At absolutely. multiple levels. Yeah, and being able to have the ability to, through board service, do that across multiple organisations at one time. It is a great privilege, really. Uh, and, again, I can bring that back to my um, my tech uh, experience as well. I'm working with multiple business leaders on multiple business categories and having an influence on the conversations that are taking place. And there's enormous satisfaction in doing that, being able to contribute at a big level, at a high level on a broad range of businesses. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So boards are yeah, very um, rewarding. I feel very fortunate. Yeah, they're, they're very rewarding um, for all the reasons that you've spoken about. And they can have this air of glamour, let's call it, <laughs> from the outside. Um, but from your extensive experience, from your view within the boardroom, what's a negative aspect of board service that no one talks about? I don't. I don't look at any of the aspects of my board service, and I can honestly go back over my history and say I've never thought about. I've never thought negatively about the role I've been playing or the role I'm expected to play, the contribution I'm making. I think what doesn't get talked about often is the commitment level you're actually undertaking you it's not a joyride it's not and some people think it is you, you talked about glamour people think there's a certain um panache maybe is the right description here around having a board role i'm a director of and you know so on but actually directorships uh highly responsible roles, they're 
it's hard work a lot of the time. Uh, it's committed work. Not so, it's not necessarily hard as in, God, it's a chore or it's difficult. It's more a case of you've got to commit yourself. And I think what goes missing a lot of the time is people's understanding of what that, that commitment actually really means. It means sometimes you're not going to be able to do the things that you might want to do from a personal perspective because there is a board demand on you and you need to step up and meet that demand. And so it can have an impact on your personal life. It can have an impact on, you know, um, your social activities. Many board directors will tell you it'll have an impact on your, um, on your week, uh, on your time with your family and, and those sort of things. So you've got to be ready for that. And I think you've, you're, you've got to have the people who love you the most supporting that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I agree with that. So how would someone begin to estimate if, if they're sort of sussing out a board opportunity or thinking about starting their board career, how do they begin to think about how much time they could potentially need to commit to this? Well, it's a big consideration because the avenue in for a lot of people is through a voluntary non-paid board, not-for-profit board, uh, and they'll probably have some real interest in that. You know, school boards, for example, school yeah. councils. You know, I sat on my children's school council for six years. Um, it evolved into a full-blown board. Um, and, you know, I was there while my kids were doing their senior school and, you know, gave me... Uh, you know, it was a special interest for me because they were there and... Um, and I, I wasn't an old scholar, but I thought, you know, I wanted to be involved. I was asked if I could be involved. And so I brought my skill set to the board. But um, that's a nice avenue in. And, uh, and I thought, well, what's the time commitment? It's going to be a meeting a month. Um, what's that mean? Well, it'll be a nighttime meeting. It's going to be, um, you know, probably three, four hours of my time uh, once a month and then it'll be some follow-up time and um, what's that look like? Oh, maybe a couple of hours a week, you know, so I started just doing the sums and I think you need to do that to give you a, an impression of what you're really taking on and you're only going to do that through asking the right questions, ask the chair, ask the CEO, um, you know, okay, so what are we really looking at here in terms of time commitment? And it's an important conversation for any board, no matter how big um, or small, but um, you've got to set that understanding pretty quickly before you even take it on, really, I would recommend. Um, and then the thing you have to understand is you set your diary around that commitment. So. Exactly. You have to say, I'm available at this time and uh, I need to uh, put a line through that day and that time in my diary every month from here on in for the term that I'm likely to be on this board. And that will probably be set for you. Uh, you may be taking a three-year term and, and so you set that time in your diary it's going to have to have a little bit of flexibility in it sometimes, but most of the time 
you meet on the, you know, first Thursday or whatever it is, and and that's not going to change unless there's some extenuating circumstances, in which case you better try and be flexible. You know, you can't always be, um, you, but you need to make a commitment that you're going to be there and you set your diary around it. So what I do every year is I set my diary according to my board commitments uh, mm-hmm. and my tech commitments because they're a set, that's a set meeting. Um, and then I have another set one-to-ones, of course, with every member of my tech group. But those, those times are pretty locked in and yeah. then everything else I want to do works around that. So I think it's a big question for people to get clear early on what they're taking on and what it means to their diaries. Because most people who are on boards are running to a diary, um, not everybody, but most. And uh, you need to get that straight because it's a bit of a wake-up call sometimes for people because you, depending on the board, you might be asked to then serve on a committee as well. There's mm-hmm. another meeting. Um, and there's some more reading time and some more um, consultation time and and so on. So you are making a sizable commitment with many of the board roles you take on and you've got to understand that. Absolutely. Um, I When I've recruited for new board members, it's definitely one of the questions that are in the mix that we ask the candidates is how much autonomy they have over their schedule and making sure that they can commit to the time required. It's yeah. that important. It's a yeah, pretty important question for them, I think. And I know that people have asked me uh, when I've been asked to look at board roles, it is one of the questions that I'm always asked is, okay, mm-hmm. so... How much time have you got? What else have you got on? Um, you know, how are your commitments running at the moment? Yeah. Um, and so I need to be pretty clear and uh, both with them and with myself about um, exactly what that's going to look like because um, I need to be available and I need to also dedicate time to understanding the issues that are presented at every board meeting, which means you've got to put time into making sure you read your papers, make sure you give yourself real time to read the papers, not, and I mean dedicated time. It's not, it's uninterrupted time because the bigger the board, the more uh, you need to be aware of the various risks associated with the business, the order of business um, that you're going to be discussing. So pretty critical that you are full bottle when you turn up at that meeting. Yeah. You need to exercise independent thought on mm. what's coming and you need time for that. Yeah. you got to... Uh, independent thought is, is, again, a valid point. It's objective thought um, and this is one of the things that can be hard sometimes people get a bit passionate uh, about what it is the business is doing and um, but their role needs to be one of great objectivity um, and that that's hard for some people it, it can be um, really difficult for them to put personal perspective or feelings aside and say what is the best thing 
for this business, but it's actually a critical role for a mem- for a board member. Yeah. Have have you experienced that personally? And if so, how did you sort of step outside yourself and see it from that different perspective? Nothing's really springing to mind where I've felt my judgments compromised by how I feel about something um, or about a, a matter on the table. But I, I can think back to a couple of roles that I've had where part of my reason for being on the board was to understand whether the organisation could function effectively uh, given it was a fairly complex organisation and had some real challenges in front of it. So I was really interested to see how things would work. I did bring my brand attributes to uh, understanding of brand attributes to the table but I was also there because I was thinking I'm really interested to see how this business functions and I think I can make a contribution but I want to see whether my perspective is valid or not so I had to watch myself there I think that I was always being objective and not being you know, my judgment wasn't skewed because I already had a a view on how things might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the only time I can think where I, you know, I had to be mindful. The rest of the time, I pride myself on being completely objective, and you know. But having said that, I don't think there'd be a board director uh, or many that would not say at some point they've had a they've had a view on something and it's been pretty hard to shift yeah um if we're all honest with each other it's the truth uh that there will be times when you have a set view and you will need to be convinced that there's a better pathway so bringing an open mind to the conversation is really critical, but it's difficult. But you've got to do it. Yeah, definitely. And know which battles to fight because if everyone else is going left and you're going, no, right, 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 then there comes a time where you have to go, okay, well, this is a team effort and most of the team want to go that way. I'm thinking that way and you just have to accept it. You and you need to do. You need to more than accept it. I think is embrace the fact that you've made a decision and you're going this way. Mm-hmm. The work I do in cohesive team behaviour means that I have these conversations often, and what I always say to people is, you don't have to have consensus. You don't have to have everyone agreeing to the pathway. What you need to do is make sure that everyone has their say and it's important that they do have their say and that you are brave enough when the time comes, if you think, I don't agree with that, that you actually say that. But then once 
you've reached a point where it's okay, we are now moving forward on this and this is the direction we're taking. You embrace that like every other member does. Mm-hmm. Might not be what you thought was the way to go, but it is now a decision that you have to acknowledge, accept and embrace. And again, that's not easy, but that's part of the responsibility. It's not just part of the responsibility for a director, it's part of the responsibility for an executive team as well. Mm-hmm. We'll often have differences of opinion. As long as you have the conversations and then you move forward on what you agree on as one. Yeah. You cannot have the scenarios that sometimes exist where people uh, don't really get involved in the conversation because they don't agree on the pathway and then later on they're either saying, I told you so or, um, or what my idea. Um, mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, so pretty important, I think, that once we get to a point where we need to move forward, that everybody embraces that that uh, decision and uh, moves forward in alignment. Definitely. So what about you? What's been your biggest challenge in the boardroom to date? Uh, I don't... I think sometimes mixing a portfolio career, you know, can be a challenge. You've got a lot of things going on and so you've got to make sure that you are maintaining clear time for all the roles that you've got. Uh, that's that's typical of anybody who's a portfolio of interest. Um, I think sometimes... Um, Uh, elevating my uh, contribution to a higher level has um, has sometimes been a challenge. Where I um, I want to do more, um, and I think this is actually this is a good example, really, of the challenge for a lot of directors. Is you bring a skill set to the table, and you might observe that the people involved in executing the plans could use some help but you've got a and you can offer that help but you can't get in the way and so you need you need to um, be able to offer the help in such a way that the managing director or the CEO will say thanks um, and you might end up chairing a committee or whatever but but you might often not be consulted because the CEO needs to go a certain pathway you know they're responsible at the end of the day um, and that's fine. So a challenge can be minding the, yeah, uh, being very, very mindful of your way is not always the way and you can't cross over into operational matters. You can offer support uh, it won't always be acknowledged or accepted. If it's acknowledged, it's good. It doesn't have to be accepted. But if it's not acknowledged, that sometimes can be a, a bit annoying for directors. My experience has been there are times when I think I would love to be making more of a contribution because of my skill set, but I don't have the 
the involvement that I might personally like, but then I'd say, well, that's that's fine. That's not um, that's not what I'm here to do. Mm. Um, I'm so that is just. I think that's a that's a warning for people, really, or a, a, you know, an observation that all directors need to make is. You know, you can often be very passionate about how things are going and what, you know, how things are uh, being run or, you know, whether there could be more you could be doing, but you also need to be respectful of the fact that you've hired an executive team through your CEO um, and the CEO's done most of that hiring, of course, um, and they need to be able to manage the business and and execute the plans that you've set for them. And mm. if they need your help, they'll ask you. Yes. Yes. And the great CEOs that I've worked with as a board member, they all do that. Yeah. Great. What and about I'm very the... lucky that I have had very good CEOs to work with and I, and I do currently. Mm. What about your time? You mentioned having a portfolio career, trying to balance all of those different roles. What's your approach to that? Well, it is uh, every year I review what I've done, how I've done it, whether I think I could have made some improvements. Every year I see that I can make some improvements. Um, but um, I typically look at my commitments for the year ahead when I'm understanding what my time allocation needs to be. I, as I said, write, write out in the diary all the things that need to the uh, givens um, and then assess what time I have left uh, and that governs how much more work I do in the areas that I love to do. Uh, you know, I, I'm very lucky that I have a portfolio of interests that I'm pretty passionate about and uh, and I'm... And I feel very grateful that I can be working in in all the, the areas of business that I do. So then I, I, my biggest issue is being careful of how much to take on because you don't want to be spread too thin. So, yeah. um, you know, you think as you get older, you'd mature in your understanding of that, but you know, I still get excited by lots of different projects and think, gee, I'd love to be a part of that. And some things I have to actually say no to, I can't be. And as much as I'd love to be, I can't. Or I have to delay it, you know, and mm -hmm. um, that's okay. Uh, you know, you uh, you have to be, you have to, I think you have to be very mindful of what's real, and what, what's the reality of what you can do. And effectively, because if you're spreading too thin, then probably not being effective at much. Yeah. Or not as effective as you need to be. Certainly not for the reasons that you were probably brought into that board in the first place. Yeah, correct. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have to be very conscious, very willing, very uh, um, committed, and you can only do that with conviction if you've done a real assessment of your time needs. Yeah. yeah.
And you incorporate things like family and your own yeah. sort of endeavours that you're working on personally. Yeah, yeah, I do. And one of the things that is great, again, and I this is not me talking about tech too much, but one of the things we do every year in the Executive Connection is we do our annual planning. And one of the things that is part of that planning is an assessment of where our time is spent. Yeah. And family and loved ones are a big part of that. So are... Um, passions of, of your own like you know you might have a special interest you mm-hmm. might be playing sport it might be exercise it might be just time for the gym it might be a whole range of things what is it um, where does your time go so we do a full assessment 24 7 for a month and then for the year where does your time go wow it's a pretty sobering experience at times because it shows that you Sometimes don't spend as much time um, as you need to where where you should be. And so I think it's one of the reasons why we do it um, is because we want our our leaders in business to be very mindful of um, what matters, who matters, when it matters, uh, all of those things. And so it's an annual thing. So that's how I, I do it. I look at it and, and give myself a... You know, a bit of a reminder uh, every year that I've got to uh, spend time with the people that matter the most, the ones that I love the most, the ones that love me the most, and on some of the things that I love to do that remind me of why I do what I do. Absolutely. Yeah, makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I want to take a... a a look into the future, Rod. What do you think boardrooms or boards look like in the future? Well, it's a challenging question because we're always looking at what our governance requirements are going to be. Every organisation uh, will have a range of governance principles it's got to be mindful of and and they'll be set by other organisations. Um, but um, the view is that, that I've experienced anyway is that that's a constant and that you've just got to keep abreast of what your commitments are as a director and what you need to be mindful of and aware of. Now... You will be challenged uh, on that from time to time. Um, I think those challenges are not going to be that much different to what they've always been, um, and and that is effective governance of the organisation, making sure that it's run appropriately, it's run according to the rules, it's run uh, all the metrics that need to be observed are being observed. You have proper reporting structures. You have um, the right people in the right place at the right times. Uh, You have a board that is very focused on what it needs to do and what the executive needs to do. So you have real clarity around that. One of the things that I bring into board strategy sessions these days is a lot more understanding around who does what um, and, you know, what is the purpose of this organisation? Why are we actually here past just making a profit? Mm. And uh, 
you know, I, I'm really motivated by some of the work of Patrick Lencioni in that aspect where, you know, we, we look really clearly um, and at a, at a business to try and find uh, real clarity around what that business is all about and what's going to make it successful uh, and then how do we keep it that way. Mm. So I, I think the challenges will always be let's be clear on what it is we do, why we do it, how we're going to be successful and how we're going to ensure that we will be um, through appropriate delegation of tasks to the right people, um, making sure we've got the right leadership in place, right governance principles in place, making sure that we don't get uh, clouded or our judgment isn't clouded by our passion for the business that we're in, that's no different to what it was, what it's ever been really. Um, mm. The challenge though for boards now is a better understanding of that. Mm -hmm. I, I think there is, people have their, their eyes open more around what it actually means to do that job well, to be a good director. I think there is greater appreciation for that now because the demand for the right board roles is high. Yeah. Uh, if you're applying for a role that you really covet, you can expect that there will be a lot of other people going for it as well. Yep. And they will be very seasoned, very good people. Uh, and they're all intent on being really good directors. Mm. So that, that will be a challenge. Um, changes in legislation, those sort of things, keeping abreast of everything that you need to be aware of as a director, that'll be a constant. Nothing's changed there either. Um, yeah, I don't. I think just being really mindful of all of the requirements is, uh, as they evolve. Mm. That's certainly what I'll be doing anyway. <laughs> yep. Heard it here first. Yeah. So on that then, in wrapping up our conversation, Rod, what advice would you give to aspiring and new board members? I would start by saying why do you want to be a director? Um, what, what do you see as the reason for your involvement in the first place? And for some, it will be they want to make a contribution to something that's pretty close to them. And for those people, it might be their children's school. It might be a not-for-profit in a health space or a sports space that brings them to the table because they want to make a contribution. Um, so get clear on that first and then ask yourself, and so what next? What after that? Is this a space that you want to be involved in long term? Um, or is it, no, I'll do it for a while and then I'll, I'll have made my contribution and I'll get out. Mm -hmm. Is it because you want to make a contribution to your community? Is that the kind of person you are? Are you in service to your community? Well, maybe. Um, I tend to think those of us who look at board directorships as a long-term thing 
I mean, I look at board directorships as a way of me staying professionally engaged for a long period of time. I, yep. You know, I, I want to continue that. So some people will want that. Other people will say, no, I, I don't really need that past, a, uh, you know, my first 10 years or so or mm -hmm. maybe less than that. But others will say, no, that's, you know, I really like this work. I can make a contribution. I want to, this is part of my future. But I'd say start with why are you getting involved in the first place and then what do you think the future looks like for you now that you're engaged in this kind of space and it will be a not-for-profit voluntary channel in, I'd say, most of the time. Um, uh, not always, but most of the time. And then um, how do you feel about that now that you've, being now that you're committed how committed do you really want to be yeah yeah uh, and then grab it and run with it love it you know just really be the best you can be while you're in that role be really conscientious about the role that you're playing uh, and that's when you get the most joy because you're actually making a difference you are making a contribution you're um, input is being valued. You get to work with some really interesting people um, and you grow as a result. Yeah. That's all you can hope for. That's it. <laughs> Great advice, Rod. Thank you so much for sharing uh, all of this information from your experience. There's such valuable content there for new and aspiring board members to take into their board careers. So thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thanks, Lisa. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Rod and it has inspired your board career. If you'd like to connect with Rod, you can do so via LinkedIn or visit his website, rodbuecher.com. That's R-O-D-B-U-C-H-E-C-K-E-R.com. If you haven't already, I invite you to subscribe, rate and review the Board Shorts podcast on your favourite podcast app. And please feel free to share that you're listening and what your takeaways are from this episode on social media using the hashtag Board Shorts Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to talking with you in the next episode. The Board Shorts Podcast is powered by Get On Board Australia, the destination for aspiring and new board members helping you to get on board and thrive in the boardroom.